This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. The kind of old-fashioned cop would prefer working the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion. It was the closest thing New York had to a dirty Harry. This is One Tough Podcast. Here's your host, Bo Deedle. Welcome to One Tough Podcast. I'm joined here like always with Carla. What happened to your finger, Carla? I cut myself cooking, but I'm okay. Cooking? Yeah. Well, it's slicing up some stuff. Some well, vegetable. you have to listen to my friend Guy Fieri and let you t- teach how to cut. Okay, and today that we're like a cover story. If you don't want me to say so, <laughs> and today we're joined here by my friend. I met him a while ago, Paul Blanchard. He's a very interesting character, and we know one thing, Carlo. PR. What does it mean to you? PR. Puerto Rico. Wrong. Public relations. You have the greatest thing in the world, or you can make the biggest mistake in the world, or you could be a real fuck up. But if you have a good PR person, they can make you look good. And that's what Paul Blanchard does. He's written books. He has a great podcast also that I'm going to probably do in a little bit. And Paul Blanchard, he has a little English accent, but he understands very well America and all the dickheads in America, all the dickheads with the corporations. (laughs) And he's out there to help them. Paul Blanchard, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. I really appreciate it. So excited. Yeah, well, thanks for that introduction. Yeah. I, uh, I had a bit of imposter syndrome listening to that. <laughs> um, I think you you think I'm better than I am, but maybe that's a British thing. No, no, no. I mean, look, all I found out is one thing. I, I started calling some of my friends and run major corporations. I'm starting to get a little hincotation of a lot of that accentization like you got. You got it. You got that English accent. I have. And now they're actually putting them on their phones, on their answer Say, hi, you've reached Bodito. Yeah, say it in English. Hi, you've reached Bodito. And it sounds a lot better, right huh? It Leave puts a message. Touch class, class. class. Yeah. That's the word. English accent equals class. New York accent, bow accent, like slimitaceous. Yeah, you can't say, right? hey, yo, you reached Bodito. How you doing? Yeah. Doesn't yeah. sound so good. And it's nice. When he speaks, he speaks with class. I speak with underclass. But, Paul, let's talk about you. Where'd you grow up? How'd you get involved in PR? And some of your clients, if you can mention them. Of course. Yeah, and uh, I'm very interested in this because this is what life is about. Like I just said, PR. That's right. Like the Friars Club. It's getting bad PR. No one's controlling yeah. it. And PR has bad PR as well because a lot of people in our industry sort of churning out shitty press releases. I don't think it. I don't think it moves the needle at all. I mean, what we do is sort of the next evolution of that is reputation management. We whoa, whoa, whoa. evolution? You mean evolution? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yes. I, I apologize. Right. For, that for, was call out. <laughs> evolution is evolution. Yep, I got that. Keep that's, that's going. The one. There we are. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't, don't mean to don't break your jobs, but good. So in other words, let's let's talk about why the importance of PR. And like I said, uh, you know, in, pu- in public relations, 
you know, if you could control your clients, it's good. But some clients are out of control. Yeah. I mean, even with our my friend, my president, <laughs> that I love very much, but you can't talk to the guy. Like I would say, hey, excuse me, Mr. President, calm down with your Twitter twatters, all right? And you can't control some people, some clients. But let's talk about how you got into this, okay? Yeah, of course. And your on, education. On Trump, I... I still think that, you know, I've got many criticisms of the president, but he clearly is a PR genius because most of his audience love who he is. And the more trouble he causes for Nancy Pelosi and all these people, the more they love him. And the more the, the more problems that he faces, like with impeachment and, and Mueller and all of this, they say, well, there he is battling for us. So it's very clever that in terms of the audience that he wants to reach, he's incredibly good at connecting with his base. And we have to... You know, as an opponent, we have to we have to know our enemy, and um, they don't. The Democrats have not got their act. Well, the only problem is his base. We all agree is a forty percent strong base that would walk through walls. But there's you got to have a little bit more than winning election. But on the other side of the coin, you have a hatred for him that is so overwhelming where people can't have a civilized conversation about Donald Trump. It's like cursing. They want to fist fight. All my liberal friends also become tough guys. Mm. Oh, F you, Bo. You like fucking Trump? Ugh. I said, well, look at I can have my opinion. And if I like the guy for my reasons, I like a strong person. I like the idea he doesn't take any bullshit yeah. from anybody. And he says it like it is. And no one's used to it because their introverted personalities hate to see a guy that's out there getting stuff done. Look what he passed yesterday. That trade thing was the biggest trade thing. Right in the middle of being beat up, another guy would be sucking on his thumb, hiding in the corner. Donald Trump steps up, but, and he's having rallies in New Jersey. He's just there, and the people are going crazy. But what scares me, what scares me is the undercurrent of hatred for him mm. is very presence, and people that talk about him now hate him with so much vigor. Never hate your enemies. It clouds your judgment. Yeah, but the only that. problem is he didn't win by a lot. Even though you look at the electoral votes, they were very close in a lot of these states. 60,000 votes. And Hillary, you know, the popular vote, she was 3 million more than him. So he's got, well, he's got a mountain to climb. I'm talking about even these swing states were so close, less than 10,000 votes. Mm. And to me, you're going to have an undercurrent of people coming out to vote. The last time there was nothing drawing. The thing would draw them out is the hatred mm. for Trump. But there was one little gleaming factor. The last thing I saw was the African-American black black vote is like over 30% in favor of them because they have better lives, better life for the family, family economy. So the economy you know, is doing better. Do you know, it is. I mean, that, that, you're right there. I mean, the problem is with, with Trump, and I think the Democrats can't get their act together on this, is there's lots to criticise him on, but they don't seem to, you know, they focus on the fact that the economy is doing incredibly well. There are lots of people that support Trump that have got new jobs. And I, I think one of the reasons, Trump rewrites the rules in so many ways that his opponents just haven't got their act together. We've never, ever ha faced an enemy like this that's, that's better than us. Wait, 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 enemy? Why is he an enemy? Well, I don't want him to get re-elected. 
I respect the office of president. Of yeah. course I do. And I respect that he's achieved a lot. But on the other hand, I, from, from my That's own personal opinion. reasons, of course it is. And you know what? If you, It's not for me to criticise your reasons for supporting him. I respect you as a, an individual. You're not an idiot. Yeah. So if you no, support, I respect you for not liking so, him. So I want to find out. Yeah, yeah but, right, but this, you're right about this. Everyone's dug in on both sides. It's like Bo's an idiot if he supports Trump. And I think, no, Bo's not an idiot. He's achieved a lot. And if he supports Trump... I want to learn why. What's his thinking? What's he saying the that only, I'm the, not? The only reason why I support him is he's getting stuff done. Yeah, I, I sat it. for eight years with Obama, and we got nothing done except they stuffed the uh, the health care bill down. And me as a guy who's running a business, all of a sudden for a family of over three, I was paying 15000 Now it's over 32000 mm -hmm. And the insurance companies jumped on board, and no one stopped them from raising all their rates. So there's a lot of intricacies there. And the only, again, the positiveness about Trump is he says it like it is. He says it to NATO. He says it, look, you got to pay your fair share. I'm not paying for your crap. One of the things came up with South, uh, uh, South uh, what's that called over there in Korea? South Korea is a fine economy. Mm -hmm. They're doing great. And then all of a sudden they wanted these missiles to protect them from North Korea. It was about $5 billion. Trump told his generals and all them, you have a meeting with them. Mm -hmm. Tell them they want us to protect them. You pay for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are things that nobody else does. So that's the thing. They, look, at. he's an antagonistic son of a bitch, lying narcissist. With that said, so I'm voting for him all. again, and I like him. And that's that's the the problem, isn't it? Right, because his opponents take him literally, but not seriously, and his supporters take him seriously, but not literally. So when you when he says something that you know is a bit of BS, you think, look, the guy's doing all right overall, and we'll give him that. Democrats and his opponents seize on that and say he lied about X, Y, and Z, and they, they can't they can't even seem to agree on the way to to challenge it because he's just shattered all the rules. And to that, <clears throat> I respect that. Yeah, he took on uh, 17 real hard-nosed politicians and wiped them out. In I agree with Republican, you. Uh, We've thing. always underestimated him. And, I, and, and I think it's something right now where people are just saying to themselves, we know about the base. We see it when he has his conferences and all his rah-rah Trump and all mm. the people there. But uh, what I'm I saying is I don't know beyond that base what is there? Mm. Is there a silent majority of people saying my life is better, whether you're black, Asian, Mexican? Like one of my things, if I was you, a PR person, and I was the president's PR person, I would say, take the little fire, throw some logs on the fireplace there in the, in the White House and start talking about all the, all the positive things you've done since you've been president for the country. And then go into a, a human type of value and say, and there are some things that I have to apologize. One, I'd like to apologize to Mexican-Americans mm -hmm. who are hardworking, good family people. And really, I have to apologize to Senator McCain, who was a true American hero. And I was wrong. Yeah. All he has to do is say that you'll have ten percent more people will come jumping on. But he won't because the, the very fact that he won't apologize about that it is a manifestation of the determination of his character that got him there in the first place. It's like you know yourself. It's like founder syndrome. I'm the best thing and the worst thing about my business at the same time. Yeah. Like, like my business is fifty times better than it could be because of my commitment, my passion, and my skills. But there's also four or five things that I do to fuck it up, yeah. which I haven't. I don't even tell myself about, and I'm a human being. I'm both the best and the worst thing. 
Wow. Trump's the same. That 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 determination, that obstinacy, that fact that he, you know, is so driven like that is is both a blessing and a curse for him. Yeah, it, it could be his demise. Maybe it could be his demise. I think or, he'll get reelected. Or I said that's someone who don't want him to get reelected. But what's your feelings about you? Wait, but right now, I don't know if you guys were watching. Uh, like last night when they had Dershowitz there, the uh, uh, constitutional lawyer. Wow, it came right out. Sophie did this, did that. It still doesn't constitute the, the high, high level, crime high crime of uh, making an impeachment. So in other words, you're, you're best. Well, we agree. He did it. He did that. He did that. There's not enough there to impeach him. I mean, they brought it right out and say, look, at you didn't bring the evidence. If you really felt if you had bribery there, in, in reality, when you look at uh, uh, Biden there, when you listen to him, he actually bragged about it. He says, I told that president in Ukraine, if he doesn't fire that prosecutor that's going after my son, we're not giving him the money. Duh. I mean, you need more of a spoken gun. But what I'm bringing out is that what was brought out last night with Dershowitz was even if he did these things and the fact that he was saying that he wanted to, before he gave 400 something million dollars, he wanted to make sure that the money was being properly handled. Look, we just had a devastation in Puerto Rico. Mm. Now they're finding warehouses full, stuff. full of food, full water from the last hurricane. And now if I was the president, I'd say, well, let's slow up with the aid. Let's find out where the hell that, that's yeah. his job. Yeah. That's his job to knock and stop corruption. So in reality, by him saying, and he did release the funding to, yeah. to Ukraine. So in back of his mind, maybe, how can you think in his mind what his motive was? His motive could have been possibly take out Biden completely, yes. But also the fact that why do we want American dollars? Pakistan, he stopped giving the money to Pakistan because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. So he's abusing all these. He's, he's quite smart. He's not a dumb person. No, and, and I things like, you know. What do you would, hate him so much for? I don't hate him. I oppose him. Why do you oppose him? Because he's not—he's not a nice person. He's not—he's separating kids from their parents at the Mexican border. He's—I mean, not disclosing his tax returns and things like that. There's no openness, no transparency. He, you know, I, I agree. There's—you know—he's done some good things. I'm not—I oppose him, but that doesn't mean I hate him. I don't want him to carry on being president because he—he he doesn't bring any dignity to the office. But this is an interesting point I wanted to make. Because you're such a proper guy, <laughs> and let me tell you something. And well, no, now, not, now that we're on—and now that we're on England. You know who I'm pissed off? Go on, then. I'm pissed off of this prince being such a pussy sucker. Which, he, one, which one? We've your got... prince that's over here in Canada. Oh, I see, because we've got two princes. He's a, he was supposed to be a man. He's got balls like yeah. BB. That broad had him all set up. <laughs> she had this whole thing set up. And I'm glad my queen that I love... God save the queen, and I love the I love the monarchy of England. So and I. the queen says, "You're not a princess anymore." God bless the queen of England. She, she saw right through this. This was all a preplex plan. Yeah, marry the prince, become the princess, and then when you're tired of it, you don't want to play anymore. Go back to the United States and become an actress again. This was all premeditated, Carlo, and I'm pissed off. Okay, I mean. <laughs> What's your feeling, Carla? Wake up. Come I on. I think, you know, why not? Why why deal with all the pomp and circumstance? And it's like a golden cage, gilded cage. Yeah, but you There's know when you're going in, when we had that beautiful wedding that I watched with the pomp and circumstance. I love the monarchy. I love 
tip, tip in a way. And I've been to England many times, and I have friends in MI6, and I'm going to tell you something. I love England. England is our brother. And for this lady to go over there, this woman, and try to take that that, that beauty and, and, and monarchy and, and, pressure and respect and just trash it in the garbage, I don't want to play anymore. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Bullshit. And that's what I got to say about that. I respect your opinion. Right. To be honest, I don't have a clue what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, I think she, he's pussy whipped. Maybe. I mean, he could be. But it I, seems like he's pussy whipped. Hit Pippin away. I mean, he was a military guy, yeah. and I had a lot of respect for him. Yeah. And I would have told us, come here, young lady. Here's yeah. the deal. This is my family. Yeah. I'm a prince, and my father could be the next could be the king. Mm. And this is my life. Mm. If you want to be part of my life, you're marrying me. You have to understand it. If you want to go back to America and play actress lady, take your stuff and get your ass and take off from here. But this is my life. And my bro- I heard his brother was a little pissed off at him too. I think part of it, I mean, from, the, from what I know behind the scenes, and I don't have very strong connections at all. I know a few people that have worked for them in the past. Yeah. I think it's, it's very much about the relationship breakdown between William and Harry. And this has started years ago. That You know, it started off as, as you a You don't think it was the wedding that started them splitting? I think it was before then. I think oh. they just started to, to sort of drift apart and it's, the rot has set in, basically. Oh, I, uh, thought, I thought it was the wedding that precipitated I, I, this. No, I, I think things were already quite... Yeah. Back, even before then, and, and uh, you know, I don't know what. Well, Megan's I hate r- to see brothers fight. So, me too. I mean, I, I, I just, look, I don't like that. Look, at the end of the day, their mum died. Uh, she was chased to her death by the paparazzi. Yes, we and all the, know the, that. The, the media are unbelievably intrusive to the royal family. I mean, at the end of the day, they do a good job. Do you know what I mean? They're a nice family. They represent the country well. They clearly serve their country. You know, I, I personally would rather have an elected head of state, but the queen does a bloody good job and. Um, I'm not going to criticise her. I respect the job. Oh, that I like the new got... guy that looks like Trump's brother. There, what's his name? Who's that? Your new prime minister. Oh, Boris. Yeah. Boris looks like Trump's yeah. cousin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. We're not doing so well with our leaders at the moment, are we? But, uh, but yeah. I mean, the beauty of the Queen is she's above politics. You can, like, if you look at Brexit, how it's divided the country. You've got people. Mm-hmm. It even splits families up. You know, there's people who are pro remain yeah. of Brexit. The Queen is above that. Whatever side you're on, you can think. Well, the Queen is good for Britain. The minute she says anything, even a hint of what her view is, half the people are going to say, you bitch. Do you know what I mean? And that's yeah, she why she stays out of the and politics. That's the right. And so she should. It's England above politics. And I, love so. I love that. I and, love that. Well, Britain, actually. I mean, because when Scotland had its referendum for independence, she said that the Scottish people should think very carefully about their vote. And that was what David Cameron, as the then Prime Minister, persuaded her to say. And people were thought that she was hinting that that meant vote to keep the United Kingdom together, which is what Mm. the Scottish people did in the end. Well, you know, I just, on that note, I've been watching Netflix, and they have that one series. The Crown? The Crown. The Crown? No. No? Uh, No. Andrew was into that, didn't he? No. He's good. And it's about Scotland. Come on, guys. It's a great series. It's about Scotland, about when they had all the uh, clans and all that. And it's, I haven't seen that it's, one yet. It's, it's, uh, oh, my goodness. It's one of the great series I got addicted to. I watched it all weekend, one two weekends ago. I was wow. addicted to it. Uh, you know, it's on Netflix. And the outside, Outlander? Outlander? Outlander. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Outlander. And then one lady comes back from the future from the uh, four, 1940s. And goes, yeah. Let me tell you, 
graphic. The guy's getting hit in the ass and shit. I mean, it was a little graphic for me. And the thing is, but it was very interesting. But it got so graphic, even Bo Deedle said, I don't want to watch it anymore. I mean, you could yeah. go beyond, you know, you can leave stuff to the imagination, mm -hmm. but when you start to get really uh, graphic, and I've seen enough graphic shit in my life yeah. that I don't want to see it on TV. Just let me pretend. I hated all that torture porn stuff, and even like Reservoir Dogs when the cop's there yeah. tied up and he cuts his ear off. I don't want to watch that. It was just, no, and this, this outside. The guy's a genuine Outlander, psycho, Michael. I think he's a psycho in real life, actually. Outlander's guy's holding him down and screwing him in the ass. He's screaming, and I just don't think we need that. I think we can leave things to the imagination. Want to go watch I porn? I don't even imagine it. No you want to go watch it. porn? Put porn on. I want to watch entertainment. You can make some moans and groans, and you can get it, yeah. but you don't have to show it. That's the. I, I really Each mean that. Well, uh, no, yeah. I agree with you. Let's get back to PR. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's Jay, go. No, I, well, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed Wait. That. Let's get back to Paul yeah. because this is all part of PR, understanding things and expressing and 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 appealing. To the masses. So let's talk about you, Paul. How'd you get into this shit? I started my first business when I was 17. I've never had a job. Uh, I started with a little advert in the local newspaper in York, which is where I'm from. The original York, not this, <laughs> not this new York business. You know, name yourself after our town. Um, and was I, it York? New York named by the Dutch? That was New Amsterdam. Oh, and then they changed it to York. Okay, uh, they they gave it to the Duke of York. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that was uh, right. The British soldier in the outs, Outlander, the British captain, yeah. was a freak. That's why there's Wall Street, isn't there? Because there was a big wall to keep the yeah, British out. Yeah, he was a have... freak, and he's the one that raped the guy, the Scottish guy. And he was a very proper Englishman with his red coat on, and he was a fruitcake from the beginning. Uh, let's keep going. We, we're going. I just need to state you're awesome. This, I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> Let, let's stay. Is he like this all the time? All what the a time. legend! Let's stay. Let's stay focused. Right. Now. Not on the red coat that hits the guy in the caboodle. Yeah. That stuff turned me off. Absolutely. I mean, he was so proper, and then all of a sudden, he just was sensationalist. What's the word? Sensationalist. No, that when you're real, when you're real horny and shit. Oh, Come on, I'm a high school. I'm 43, I haven't felt those Sen feelings Sen years. Sen 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 whatever. He was a hornball. Yeah. Okay, so now, Paul, you're 17, you start in York. Yeah. And what I were put, you doing in York? I, put, I was raised there. My, my parents are there. And I put a little advert in the local newspaper that just said, has anyone got any computer problems? I'll fix them. And I used to cycle to people's houses with a carrier bag full of antivirus discs. Remember the little floppy discs? Sure. Yeah. And I'd charge people sort of 50 quid. To, uh, to quit. To, you know what a quit is? A quit is a pound. Yeah, it is. Very so, good. Yeah. Fifty quid. Yeah, I, I, spent do... I spent time in Hampstead, Bishop's yeah, Avenue. Yeah, I lived there. I, no, no, I've I stayed there with the princes of Saudi Arabia. Wow. And I used to drive a Lugunda through the Churchill Crossing at about eighty miles an hour. Pissed. You know what pissed means? Quite drunk, I believe. Yes, that's pissed right. Pissed here means angry, doesn't it? No, pissed in England is drunk. Yeah. In oh, America, that. it's angry. You're right. Yeah. So, it's like a fag in England means cigarette. So you'd say, Here's a, there's a fag. I say, Do you I, have a fag? Maybe a pissed fag. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so but now it doesn't you, mean that here. Now you're, you're taking your little floppy disk yeah. around. You're, you're doing your thing. Built, built that up eventually, sort of kept... 
kept building it up, got to sort of 20 odd people, eventually sold it in my mid 20s and thought I want to do something else because I, I never actually chose to, to I thought I, I was suddenly hit upon this. They call it a quarter life crisis now where you suddenly think, is this what I want to do? And I'd never set out to build a computer business. But because I'm a hard worker and I'm a hustler, I'd kind of built a reasonably big uh, computer business. And I thought, I don't want to do this. So I sold it and thought, what do I want to do with my life? And I thought I want to get involved in PR and I want to get involved in politics. And um, I'll see which one, which career takes off. Because I got into PR because I couldn't afford to advertise my business in the early years. And I used to hustle. I used to do stuff that the local newspaper would want to cover. And I thought, well, why would I pay $200 to advertise in the local newspaper when I can dress as a chicken and stand outside something and get a photographer to take a picture and get a bigger piece for free? So that, that was how I got into PR. I got into it to, for results, not for sort of... So you understood the value of earned media. Very... To, like to, to borrow an industry term. Absolutely. So I built the business up. I was in politics for sort of 10, 12 years. This was at the later end of Tony Blair's prime ministership. I stood for parliament. I was... I dragged my poor wife around loads of constituencies because I was desperate to become a member of parliament. Wow. And the best thing that ever happened to me is that I didn't get a safe <laughs> seat because now I'd be stuck there. Um, and... Uh, I, Basically, Tony left. I didn't like Gordon Brown's lot a lot. And then Ed Miliband came in and we, we, we got, you know, like Bernie Sanders, we got progressively more left-leaning as socialist and communist. And, and I just thought, I've had enough of this. And then when Jeremy Corbyn got elected as the leader, he is like Bernie Sanders. And I thought, this is not... Yeah, I mean, you compare Tony Blair, a statesman on the, yeah. the, the global stage, big friend to America, helping you guys out, you know, real friendship with this, some left-wing Bernie Sanders-type lunatic. I, I think, thought, he's I don't even, want anything I think he makes this. Bernie Sanders look like a capitalist. Jesus, in some yeah, ways. I know. So I... And then, so basically, I thought, well, I've been building my business up anyway, and I want to focus on this exclusively. So I completely changed things because I saw an opportunity to look after just the leader of a business, to mm -hmm. be their conciliere. So there's uh, commercially it works because there's hundreds of PR agencies, and they're all there's a race to the bottom in terms of fees. They're all chasing the same business, two or three thousand dollars a month here and there. I work for global chief executives running multi-billion dollar businesses and you know we I can charge them 10, 15, 20 times that. And also, it's a personal relationship. I really like that. We have 40-odd clients now, and they're all incredibly interesting people in a really interesting situation doing something interesting. And I really like that. It's not something that you can just churn out press releases for. Or there's, you know, all of our clients, we have a blank sheet of paper. We, we're there to, to say, well, look, what do you want to do? And then we help them do it. Mm -hmm. And we do a lot of crisis work as crisis well. Crisis management. Yeah. So like about we, a fifth of our work is crisis. Like we were just talking about it. And I go back. I personally knew the former uh, CEO of Boeing, which I did some business. I brought uh, 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 RSA. That's the security. Yeah, the security cyber thing. I used security. to have a little fob with the number that well, changed R for me to RSA, log in. I was a spokesman for 10 years with Art Corvello, who lives up in Vancouver. Art was the chairman that sold it to EMC. Now it's subsequently been bought by Dell. Wow. But uh, I was able to bring RSA and some of their security technology into Boeing because of my relationship. Wow. It was great security technology. But look at where I'm going to on this, look at what happened with the 737s. Yeah. It kind of destroyed a massive company. Yeah. And the other one, another destruction that I can't believe, well, 
a few of them, Lehman Brothers, yeah. that they didn't want to save, and then General Electric. I agree. The company. How did General, my friend is Jack Welch. Mm-hmm. I was at his wedding, uh, his third wedding, mm-hmm. the last one, and I still can't believe that General Electric, because of not proper PR, mm-hmm. I mean, there was no reason in the world that General Electric is now, the stock is about three cents or something. The board like don't that. take reputation seriously enough. I'll give you an example, right? United Airlines... Um, last year, punched some guy in the face, some dentist, and dragged him off the right. plane, right? Do you remember that? Yes. Right. The the lawyer will have written the tweet, because about an hour later, United Airlines put a tweet out and said, we regret having to reaccommodate this passenger, right? Now, the lawyer who wrote that, from his point of view, would have thought, well, we can't apologise and admit liability, so we're going to very carefully word a tweet so that doesn't admit, because we might, otherwise, if we get it wrong, we might have to pay him another $10 million in damages, right? Mm. That tweet angered people so much that they lost a billion dollars off their stock market value the next day, right? And that's what the board have to do. If you let the lawyer write the apology, you're going to, you're finished. Because that's what they should have said. The the CEO should have come out front and centre and said, I wasn't on that plane. I don't know what happened. But I feel desperately sorry for that poor man, my staff, and the fellow passengers. I'm going to get to the bottom of it, and I'm genuinely going to get to the bottom of it, and I'll make sure it damn well never happens again. Now, most people would have thought at that point, fair enough, you know? Yeah. But they didn't. They they put out an incredibly technical, legal tweet, which angered people, because you thought, well, you've punched a guy in the face, so you're not going to show any empathy for him. And that, to me, is what boards need to do now, is realise that the power of reputation is, is more important now than the legal stuff. We get retained by a lot of lawyers who say, yeah, we're going to start a legal action against this big, big company that we're in dispute with. But we also, parallel to that, want a public relations exercise, because it might be that if we can pressure the board to, to do the right thing, that that's more powerful than actually our lawyers arguing with their lawyers. Yeah. So we do that a lot. And I, I say to clients in a crisis, right, that imagine that you you run a pizza restaurant and you're the manager and, and a table is, is angry at something and was asked to see it, right? You didn't cook the pizza and you didn't take the order, right? What you want to do is you go and you lead on empathy. So the first thing you say is, I'm dreadfully sorry that this has happened, right? That, that, and if you mean it, they'll give you a chance. And then you say, look, I, didn't, I don't know what happens, but I'm going to get to the bottom of it. That's stage two. If they believe you, then already you're nearly there. And the third one is, and I'm going to make sure it never happens again. And if the people believe you that you've led on empathy, genuinely taken responsibility, most people will give you the fair crack of the whip and say, well, look, okay, I was annoyed, but I can see you're going to, try and put this right best of luck to you when people don't do that it's so simple but when people try and overcomplicate it or when they listen to the lawyers they fuck the job up completely yeah. and that's why united lost a billion dollars off their stock market value because i was in the airport about to take off when it happened and i saw there was like tv shows and cnn had a split screen and they had the tweet saying we regret having to reaccommodate this passenger but on the other half of the screen there was a bloke with a punched nose and blood and i thought they haven't reaccommodated this guy they've punched him in the face <laughs> and dragged him off the plane if they just said that i wouldn't be as annoyed they made it 50 million times worse and that's the thing the if people are human beings if they get something wrong if the intent is genuine most people will give you a fair crack of the whip and well, that's I, the bit i think it goes right back to what we were talking about president trump you know, with him saying stupid stuff and saying really negative stuff, by him not fixing it, it's still laying in a lot of veterans' minds what he said about McCain. Mm. It's still in in a lot of Mexican families calling us all drug dealers and, and criminals. And he hasn't 
kind of healed it up yet because he won't listen to a reputation person because he's so far out there that he's not listening to anybody because like you just said in the beginning he's been winning all along so why would he back off winning so you, you and i got this from people very close to him you can see you, it you can't talk to him yeah it's like no one like bo can't say mr president yeah do this, do that. And a lot of people don't know, even for veterans, he now casted a veteran's choice. Mm -hmm. And it was an idea that I brought to him before he was president mm -hmm. about getting a card where veterans could go to any hospital, any psychological PTSD, anything mm -hmm. like that, and where they don't have to go to a VA hospital because mm -hmm. they're getting treated like shit. Mm -hmm. Go to anywhere and send a bill to the VA. Mm -hmm. He passed it. People don't even know he no. did it. No. And and these are good things that are positive things. If I, if you want to talk about positive things, to me that was one of the biggest important things to do to He's help. He's done our some veterans. good things. Yeah. I, and that that's the problem that the Democrats can't admit either. You've got to be even-handed in this. He's done some good things. I don't deny it. Right. But you you make a good point there that whoever is the media person for for Trump can't control him. It's the same with Prince Andrew that we have. That's why his PR advisor resigned 10 days before. He said, I'm going to go on the BBC and I'm going to do this interview. And rightly, his, his PR advisor said, Your Royal don't Highness, do don't do it, sir. Right? Oh. And he went, I'm doing it. And he's like, please don't do it. It's going to end badly. And he has to resign. Well, so it, you know, you know, not to cut you off, I'm no, sorry, please. because my experience are... A while back, I miss in the morning, one of the big radio, he just died Christmas, and I had done the show for 34 years. Very politically influencing Washington. Every United States senator knew him, wanted to be on his show and all that. And then it was a, it was a humorous show. And over the years, we said stuff that today, politically correct, don't work. But this was a humorous show in the morning. He makes a comment about the Rutgers basketball team being nappy head hose, mm. right? Everyone laughs as well, but then all of a sudden the shit starts hitting the fan. At that point, CBS Radio, he was on. CBS Radio had nobody in the CEO, had just left two weeks prior. Now this shit's hitting the fan. All of a sudden the NACP gets involved with it. Now they want him fired. I call up Sumner Redstone, who was a friend of mine, who was the head of all of it. Uh, he was the head of CBS. Viacom. Viacom. Mm. And I said, Summer. They're losing control of this thing. I says, Les Moonbeam, I call him, it's Les Moonbeam, yeah. who I knew since 85. Yeah. I said, this this is losing control. No yeah, one's some Someone's got to step up, yeah. let him uh, step up, uh, uh, suspend him for two weeks, boom, you're suspended. And then let's, you know, let, it yeah, and then let him come out and do an apology, yeah. and it's over with. Yeah. Instead, yeah. I miss, I call up Les Moonbeam, some of the Redstone says, mm -hmm. you call up Les, you know him. So I call up Les, I said, Les, you got to take charge. Mm -hmm. Nobody took charge, and it started getting its own life. Next yeah. thing is... The momentum builds up against no him. No one tells Imus, I told Imus, mm -hmm. do not go on Al Sharpton's radio show. Mm -hmm. Do not. He knows better, of course. He goes on there, Al Sharpton's sitting there with his, his daughter sitting on a chair. Why don't you call my daughter a nappy head ho? Mm -hmm. I said, oh my God, he's just... It, it, nobody's advising. I try to advise. I'm his friend. Yeah. I said, do not go on there. The best thing that could have happened at that point was that the network and the radio station take charge, suspend them immediately. Now they never realize they fire him. Mm -hmm. They never realize in his contract it said, and he got twenty three million dollars. He's supposed to be irrelevant. What's that word? Irrelevant. Irrevocable. Irrevocable. No, irrelevant. 
when you say stuff that's bad and shit. Irrelevant? 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 Not irrelevant. It's another word when someone's supposed to stay. Irreverent. That's the word. Irreverent. In his contract says that is what he is, and he's going to say something. But you cannot fire him if he says something that is irreverent. First time, you have to give him a warning. If he does it again, he could be fired. And then he got all the money. He never was warned. No one read the fucking contract. And he got $23 million. Do you ever know that? I didn't. $23 million because he was leading. He, mm. he didn't have my friend here as his PR. But... I mean, you, this is this is why I set up the business. Oh, no, CBS and Viacom yeah. didn't have Paul to tell them what the hell to do yeah. and back off the damn thing, suspend them, suspend them immediately, and then everybody would be, play, the majority would be placated. They took action. So and we're going to investigate it. A lot of what I do is... That it is things like that where it's the manifestation of a deeper problem. We, I'm a fixer. I get involved in that. Go behind mm. the scenes and work out. Look, what is the real problem here? Because you know that is the problem. Sometimes though, you you can't like with Trump or whoever it might be, where you just know they won't listen to you. And that's why I set up the business where I thought, well, I, I want at least five or six clients. I mean, we've got nearly fifty clients now. But uh, when I was when I was kind of thinking of the concept of this business, I thought, mm. well, I'll have five clients mainly to spread my risk because I don't want to I don't want to conflict with anyone. I don't want to fall out with anyone if you're paying me money to represent you. But one of the big things that I was really passionate about is a lot of PR people will will just sort of remain silent because they get paid every month. And with every right, month that goes on, there's a monthly retainer. And also they don't speak truth to power because sometimes with our clients, I don't want to fall out with them, but I'm, I think it's ethical to say, no, you're not doing that. And I mean it, right? A lot of people don't do that because they don't want to be fired. I see it in f private family offices where there's someone who's a media advisor, and they really they need to tell their boss, the head of the family, right. be less of an asshole. But they can't because they've got all of their eggs are in one basket, and their mortgage ah. depends on that guy not firing me. So my original idea was I'll have five clients so that... I can tell any one of them to fuck, fuck off, off if I need to, and I can still pay my mortgage. Yeah. So I won't deliberately set out to piss them off. But I think it's unethical if, I, if you're the problem and yet no one tells you. Because yeah. a lot you're of rich people yes, have sycophants around them. Mm. And no one actually says, uh, Emperor, you're not wearing any clothes. Whereas I do. I'm like you. I'm tough like yeah. that, right? As I say, my dream was to have five clients, and accidentally I've now got 45 clients. Well, it's and, not too uh, bad of an accident. Yeah, it's not bad. You not know, multi-million dollar uh, you know, revenue business, and uh, I'm really proud of the team as well. I've got 20 odd people. I've got podcast producers, writers, researchers, That's a website real, designers, Well, you want to know media. something. What you've done today, I have incidents that come from, you know, I've been in business 35 years yeah. from, from retiring from the police department. So we have some real clients and they get into trouble. Yeah. And I tell you right now, as I'm, of today, Carlo, I'm available. Paul's the man. All right. And I mean, when they, when something, when the shit's hitting the fan, I could call CEOs yeah. up and I can say, I, I do have a person that I could trust. I'm very and grateful. just talking to you a little bit. Yeah, but, but then you're going to face, I'm in business 35 years. Yeah. Who the fuck are you to tell me what I do exactly. wrong? No, you're entirely right. My, I How do you to... deal with a schmuck like that, like me? So... Well, first of all, you're not a schmuck. You're awesome. You know that, right? But so 85% of people, you can get into them. You can reason with them because ultimately you don't want to fuck things up. Yeah. And if someone tells you respectfully in the right way and really makes a good case in the way that you want to be heard, you can't do this, Bo. You're going to make things worse. And, you know, it comes from an honest place. 
you don't, you don't want to fuck your business up. There are some people, 10 or 15% of people, like it might be Les, it might be the people advising him, but if some, if ultimately they're not going to listen to you, then you can tell people, look, when you go to, when you cross the road, look both ways, right? If they don't and they get run over, you've done everything you can. Uh -huh. So 85% of people you can get to, but there are 10, 15% of people you can't reason with. I couldn't tell Trump to be less of an asshole because he would say, me being an asshole has got me to become president of the United States. Yeah. Who the fuck Who are, you are you to tell me? Yeah. But you know what? He might have a point. <laughs> so, well, you know. Well, we'll see if he gets reelected. <laughs> then we'll all we'll have, a, we'll have a round of another podcast and we'll say the son of a bitch did it again. Look, do you know what? <laughs> the, the, one of the things that's interesting about the media today is no one has a fucking clue about anything now, right? All the old rules are gone, right? Eight days before the general election, uh, the election here, grabbing by the pussy, the Billy Bush tape came out. He and thought I, it was over. Well, I laughed. I thought, oh God, the small chance he had of being president is <laughs> has gone, right? Because no one would vote for this guy after that, right? <laughs> and I literally sanctimoniously sort of sat back like that and thought, job done. You know what I mean? I don't know if you've seen the news recently, but he was elected president of the United States. <laughs> So, you know, apparently he's still in office. So, you know, I, I was wrong. And I'll tell you another thing about imposter syndrome as well. As I as I kind of climb the ladder, you know, I'm at quite a high rung of the ladder now in terms of global PR. I always thought there was this mythical, like, high rung of PR. that There's this hive mind of all the top PR people in the world that really knew what they were doing and they would all think about things in a certain way. They don't have a fucking clue either. No, they disagree I, I know, with each other. I know a lot of alleged great PR yeah. people. And I look at them and they're great, they're great. They're great because of the clientele that they have. Yeah. And like you said, they don't ruffle the fucking feathers. They don't. They get their retainer yeah. every month and don't, hey, Colin, don't say nothing about that. Yeah. You're going to fucking fuck up this kid, our retainers every month. So in reality, they're bullshit. Yeah. Whereas you get a guy, you get a guy that's over there like Paul, and Paul goes, you know, uh, Mr. CEO, with all respect, we got we to gotta think about this because if we don't, this is what's going to be the yeah. outcome of that. We've got a client that's in a big dispute with a Look, Hold bigger. on, one fa real fast. I was out last night with Greg Olson, the astronaut, yeah. billionaire uh, guy who went to space in the Russian Soyuz, cool guy. Well, that's nothing. I was in a hotel room on my own eating loads of chips. <laughs> so you know go, which one's best. We're going over there, and all of a sudden, he's a big Tesla fan. Yeah, love he, him. I've got one. He bought, he bought Tesla at like $17. It went up to $28, and he sold all his stock. So, so Tom, uh, Tom, my other friend uh, 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 from Power Survey, Tom Cantonese. Cantonese. Tommy's there like this, and we're sitting, we're looking at him because we know the stock is humming at about six hundred something dollars. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, you know what, you know what the astronaut said, Greg Olson. I gotta give him a lot of credit. I was very happy with doubling my money. And we look at him like, but if you left it in, you would have made hundreds of millions of dollars. You'd have been in the stratosphere. Yeah, but you want to some, but when you look at him, he's not a, a risk taker. Yeah. He is a person, and you got to respect it. Me of all people, he's a billionaire, and I'm looking to make payroll this week. So want, my point is... I want global domination. <laughs> I, I watch James Bond films, and I see the villain <laughs> who wants to take over the world, and I think, well, if he's not ambitious enough, that's up to him. Do you know what I mean? The only villain I respected in Bond was Moonraker because the guy wanted to dominate planet Earth and outer space. <laughs> you know, that's stage two for me, and then there's beyond the solar system. But I tell you what, to, to get you into a, uh, into a boardroom and listen to you, I mean, you're quite... 
you you make a lot of sense in a lot of things you're saying, and it's just getting through that door. And a lot of yeah. people, even with cybersecurity, you have a CIO who's telling his CEO, "Oh, we're." 100% protected, yeah. and then all of a sudden they get fucking breached, and oh, then all of a sudden alarm buttons go off. What do we do? All the data breach. And in reality, you know yourself, knowing security, cybersecurity, you can never be 100%. No. All you do is minimize the risk and all that. But, but they don't even do that. Boards aren't... Uh, they, they're not security compliant enough because a lot of these boards are all white guys right, that don't it, get tech. And they, they just, they, as a board, they think all like a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, right? right. And if, if a business is built on data and the board have a chief information officer who says, yep, yeah, everything's all right, fellas, don't worry about it. And they go, okay. And you think that is the most amazing threat to the business that could ruin us all. And they're taking one guy's word. Yeah, it's not, well, not well, enough priority. It's not enough emphasis. Well, you know, I, uh, Carl, I'll tell you, I own keystroke encryption. Every time you keystroke, uh, we bought the patents, my partner Danny and I, and we we're, we're, look like we're really taking off like stratosphering it, which I think, uh, you know what, if, if it happens, it's great. If it don't happen, I'm not committing Harry Carey. Of course. But the point is, every time we go into a CIO, they get the cock block. Oh, no, we got everything under control here. Now, there's a reason why... The CIO, the CISOs, are reporting now to the board of directors and the CEO because mm -hmm. the devastation of a, a cyber attack could destroy a whole company. Absolutely. And my thing is this. Well, look at you got such great security. Let me bring in a couple of our people of and let's see where the holes are. Yeah. If you're so secure, then we'll you... come back with a report saying you're secure. Yeah. What is the price of checking? And these cock-blocking CIOs yeah. and CISOs are the problems in these corporations. They are afraid to, to their little kingdom, they're afraid for you to test the doors to see if the door is open. I'd kill and them that's all. bullshit. And any CEO that doesn't let an independent transparency, Agreement. and we're involved with something with transparency, Me Too, Me Too movement, right? We hired the head of, this, of the EEOC. We put together a platform because we've learned that a lot of people who are victims of sexual abuse and sexual harassment and discrimination don't want to report it to HR because they're afraid they're up for a, uh, a job level yeah, of uh, promotion. And on top of it, the person that they're complaining about is one of their bosses that could take them out. So we came up with an independent platform that we have in effect now where we let employees know that there's a way of reporting it anonymously or your name, and we'll go coming there, transparency, full transparency. Well, we'll investigate it and we'll report it, not just to HR, to the general counsel, mm -hmm. right up to the CEO. Because yeah. if you could diffuse something going on in the company, God knows what happened at Fox. But it's in the best interest of the company right. to do that. Because right. what you don't want is that problem to go unchecked and get worse and it's worse. It's like that shit that's going on in China. If we don't quarantine them, everybody's going to have that flu coup. What's it called? The coronavirus. Corona beer. Corona, Corona beer. There's Corona Modelo virus. virus. Yeah. There's a Presidente virus. Yeah, that's scary. That's fucking scary. I I will not go to China. If you want to go, Paul, I'm sorry. I go all We're the not time. Going. No, don't go there anymore. Please, Paul, I need you around. All right, please. <laughs> Paul, but, uh, yeah, one thing you briefly alluded to was the way the media landscape is today. From when you started your PR consultancy till now with the rise of Twitter, social media, where, you know, one tweet can kind of sink a company or a CEO yeah, and it can. could explode. How do you kind of manage that in terms of crisis communications where some one offhand comment could really, you know, sink a company or may, cause it to lose billions of dollars of value? 
Well, I mean, Winston Churchill said sort of decades ago, 50, 60 years ago, that the problem with the world is a lie can get halfway around the world before the truth has even got its boots on. I mean, and that wasn't even when there was Twitter and social media. Say that I mean, one again, I liked it. A lie can get halfway around the world before the truth has even got its boots on. Remember that, call so I can steal it, please, from Winston <laughs> Churchill. Good. But now in the age of Twitter and social media, yeah, these things can be instant. If you don't have a reaction of some sort within 20 minutes, then there's a problem because even worse, there's then a vacuum where people start to speculate. Like a lot of our a lot of our clients will say, oh, a journalist has contacted us about this big problem. And, and already they want to stick their head in the sand and make the problem go away because it's human nature. And I say, and they say, well, if we won't comment, they'll just say we decline to comment. And I say, look, the reality is this, that reporter is going to write a whole page on this tomorrow. So do you want to not comment and have all of the page without a, without a dedicated to, to exploring all of your options? Without making a comment. Yeah, without, so all seven horrendous things, you want them to go into detail of all seven, or do you want to tell them the one that you're going to do so that they can discuss the pros and cons of that and not even mention the other six horrendous things? Mm -hmm. You either deal with this head on or you don't at all. And it's all about whether you embrace it or not. Because if a journalist is going to report you, right, you can either have them killed, Godfather style, right? <laughs> but even then, you know, you better do it in the next 90 minutes, otherwise it's going to be yeah. trouble, right? Or you have to accept the reality that they're going to cover something. And also, most journalists want a story, the conflict, you know, the fact that you're not doing so well. If you win a million dollars on the lottery or you kill someone, both the stories, they're not against you. So you have to accept the reality that a story is a story, even if it's against you. So you embrace it because you can mitigate the damage. Also, there might be four facts on that and they might have got one wrong. Rather than saying, oh, fuck off and not cooperating, you could say, look, I'm going to cooperate with you, but on that, you have actually got the facts wrong. And if they're a decent journalist, they will check that and correct it. And I'd rather have that. So often I, I say to clients, look, whether it's whether the, uh, the journalist is a kind of hot inquiry, like they're against you or they're for you, it's an opportunity for you to shape the narrative. And, and, and again, it's, it's about if you be seen to take it seriously and have a mea culpa and people can see that you're penitent and you're trying to put it right, then usually you can turn it around. It's all about you're the manager of a pizza restaurant I always say to all of our clients I have clients that run eight nine billion dollar businesses and I, I always go back to this and say you're a manager of a pizza restaurant and there's a couple at a table that have got a problem and they're mad you, that's all you know you just go in there with an honest belief desire to sort it lead on empathy people believe that and the best way for them to believe that is for it to be true you know, one of the best bits of PR that I've seen recently is um, there's a um, we have a, like an, a, an adventure park in, in England called Alton Towers. It's a bit like Six Flags. There's lots mm -hmm. of roller coasters and so on. And there was an accident on one of their, um, you know, roller coasters and a young lady lost her legs. She was in her I mean, she's had to have her legs amputated. It was horrendous. Mm. The, I wasn't involved in this, but the chief executive of that park went on all of the national TV news shows that night and he got seven bells of shit knocked out of him. The anchors were like, how can you sleep at night? You know, what mm. have you done? What have you not done? And in fairness, he said, he said, this is horrendous. He said, I, I, I've got no defence. He said, well, I'm, I'm going to have to get to the bottom of this because it's never going to happen again. And you could see he meant it. You could see he was upset. It wasn't fake. And most people thought... Well, okay, he's clearly going to put that right. Next, next. Do you know what I mean? If he'd have put if out, he didn't go on, if he put out a four-line statement by a lawyer saying Alton Towers regrets, and if he didn't regret go it, personally, it would take all the thunder away. Because, because also people thought, well, he's not taking it seriously enough if it's a four-line statement through a lawyer, yeah. and therefore I am not going to go to Alton Towers next year because he might not have fixed that roller coaster. Whereas now I looked at him, even as a customer, I thought, yeah, he's going to put that right. He's mm -hmm. not. He's not going to go in the new studio again in a few months and have someone else the, do this. And, and that leads me to this: the biggest problem 
I believe that you have and everyone has now is the advent of the social media. I mean, something gets its own life in a matter of seconds. Yeah. When I was said Nappy at Ho, one of the board of directors for CBS started blasting all over the internet, all over to the employees that he's a racist mm -hmm. and why is he working for CBS? And it went, it went, in, like in a second, it was all over the place. That is something. How do you control? The, the overwhelming social media when it gets its own life and now it's out with millions of people. How do you pull that or neutralize that? That's a very important question, Paul. So there's no fool like an old fool. I mean, uh, we, we have a, a newscaster in England called Alistair Stewart. He's a bit like Dan Rather. He's been on the TV for 30 years, incredibly well respected. You know, everyone trusts him. And he well, got we into... used to trust Dan Rather. He lied. Uh, he got, well, he got... <laughs> Alistair got into a Twitter spat with some guy who was criticising him, and he quoted, this guy was uh, mixed race, yeah. and he quoted a piece of, uh, a quote from Measure for Measure, from Shakespeare, and it mentioned about listening to an ape. Now, I don't know whether he did that deliberately or not. I'm not defending his comments, but obviously this man well, took that know, to be a racist and, and, insult. And the way I would take he it resigned is... just like that. Within 60 minutes of one tweet, his 35-year career, gone. But right? you know what? I would look you at should have been more careful. I'm a little older, and I would look at it. I don't want to listen to an ape, meaning the intelligence of an ape. And and not be, look, if he, if he says something stupid, I could call him an ape. Yeah. And, and the mind that's saying that... I don't believe your no, mind I is... Uh, I don't think is, anyone thinks he's racist. Right. But, but he, by saying that, in today's environment, it's off the edge. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, we had another... Uh, and how did you deal with that? So Danny Baker was a, a, a prominent broadcaster on the BBC. And uh, when, um, when Meghan Markle gave birth to a kid... He 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 was he made a con he had basically a, a couple bring out an, a little chimpanzee picture from like a hundred years ago. I don't think he meant it racistly in well, a racist way. How else would he mean that? Well, he I obviously he's your client. I no, look, he's not. No, no, he's not at all. Well, but he I resigned look, within ten minutes. Paul, I would look at it as as a racist thing well, and to that, show a monkey the baby's picture. But that's my point. I, I he should have realised that people would think it's racist even if he didn't mean it. Well, that's what, the problem with social media. Be careful before you, you do anything. Because you, you and I are talking. You know, we're talking that if. The cameras were here. There's three of us, but the minute there's a camera well, you know, or you're on Twitter, millions of people are going to see it. Well, you know, like you said, one said about, oh, he's not. He has the intelligence of an ape, not because he's black, because he's so fucking dumb. Yeah. But then when you show a picture of a yeah. chimpanzee yeah. about this woman getting birth, both. to me, that's there's no there's no there's no explanation other than negative. Yeah, and I agree with you. I, I mean, that's why he was so foolish. Because I, because I don't. Even if he was racist, he wouldn't. Why would he be stupid enough to tweet something so obviously interpreted as racist? Yeah. What it is, and this is a big problem on social media, is I think he didn't give that any thought. I think he just stuck that out with well, about three seconds. Well, that's why I I don't. Uh, I'll tell you right oh, now. You're sensible. I used to go after people on, when Twitter first came out. I was doing it. Yeah. I was threatening them. One guy. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting into yeah. it, and I said, "I'll tell you what. I'll meet you, and I'll punch you in the face." <laughs> I mean, it was going. Now, who handles my social media yeah. is Carlo. And does he make the arrangements for you to punch them in the no, face? Like my appointment no, no, he doesn't. You see, he's he's a calm. He's a thinking, calm person. I get I I react sometimes yeah. like I react to the governor yeah. and I say right to him on my podcast and on my radio shows that you're going to have blood of people on your hands when these criminals who are getting out of jail who have 10 prior robberies when they rob someone and physically assault and there's no bail 
who do you think that's going to have the blood on your hand? You signed the bill, mm -hmm. and that's why you have to re re evaluate what we're doing here in New York State because we're letting criminals, violent criminals, mm -hmm. out with no bail. And I say it right out. And I was waiting to see him on Christmas party at my friend's Christmas party. He didn't show up because I know his dad. I know the governor. I know Chris Cuomo. And I'm going to say the next time I see, see the governor, I'll say it right to his face. I'll say, you know, Mr. Governor, they call Chris Cuomo Fredo. I change that. You're fucking Fredo. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say right to his face. Yeah, and know. I don't care if he gets offended. What's he going to do? Well, he wants to fight me? Let's fight. Well, that's Take your first punch, you. Mr. Governor. But you're, I'm a 69-year-old man. Take your first fucking good, punch. You look good for 69. I still do 80 push-ups. Yeah. You take your first punch, because once you swing, I'll knock you out, Mr. Yeah. Governor. And under your law, yeah. I won't even get bail. Exactly. Right? But that's, that's the best thing about you. You're you're you. You know, you don't pretend to be someone you're not. That authenticity is, you could call you it. Want, you you know should these, never change. Don't you know, ever change. You know what these eyes have seen? What? A these lot. eyes, the last case I did in New York City Police, about 10 dead, Palm Sunday Massacre, eight children shot and had two adults. Jesus. So I look upon that. When I talk, I talk from experience. Mm -hmm. And I said on my radio show, Mr. Governor, I'll show you pictures of 10 dead people. My last case, when you let violence and you let things go so far, and this guy mm -hmm. had been arrested for another murder, but he was released. What are we going to do next, Mr. Governor? Mm -hmm. I mean, we have to balance things out. People's rights that are not I violent. Agree, yeah. People that want to go to work every day, travel on the mm -hmm. subway. Why should they be the victims for violence? I agree with you. Right. I, I mean, I'll tell, here's the thing, right? I remember this very clearly. One of the biggest political memories I ever had. I was a, I was elected on the local assembly in York, where I'm from. For I was served for about six or seven years. You were an assemblyman in in York, yeah, in in um, in the north of England. Oh, yeah, I was elected. Okay. And one of the things that we were responsible for was like crime and policing and all of this kind of stuff. And I think that the, the Home Secretary was being shown round the local police station. So that's our kind of you know the uh, the cabinet member that's uh, nationally that's responsible for sort of policing and everything. And he was being shown round. York Police Station, and there was all the cells and everything else, and there was the CID, which is our kind of detectives bit, mm -hmm. and it's the room is physically arranged according to different types of crime. So there's acquisitive crime, and within that there's car crime and burglary and so on and so forth. So the guy's been taken round, and he gets to the acquisitive crime section. True story, this, and he gets to the cri the car crime thing, and on the wall of the car crime branch of York Police. There's four detectives that are determined to sort of in investigate it. And there's a graph on the wall, and it had the weekly crime stats mm. for York week by week. So it was blah, blah, blah. Mm. And there was all of this going up and down. And then there was one week, no crime whatsoever. And then suddenly it went back up. And, of course, everyone was like, uh, hello, hello, yeah. that week, no, no car crime at all. Zero car crime, right? And the, the lead detective said, and, and I'll always remember this, he said, well, he said, we have four prolific car crime offenders that are all drug addicts in York that are responsible for most of the car crime in York, four people. He said, and by pure coincidence that week, all of them were in prison. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't take a great detective. But Paul, let's talk a little bit about your podcast. Oh, first of all, are there any of your clients that you can mention with them giving you permission as far as some of your clients, corporate clients? Um, 
I mean, I can mention um, a lot of our clients don't mind me mentioning them in private, but and there's some right, of our not. clients on, on don't, the website. Don't I, I respect them because I'm missed that all the time. So uh, half of our clients are running sort of serious businesses. Their chief executives running global businesses. Sony Music is one of our clients, for example. Who's that? Sony Music. We we work with Sony. Them for many, my old friend Tommy Matoli used to run that. That's right. And so you know, we we have a lot of clients that um, where they realise that that the organisation and the company benefits from having a more visible chief mm-hmm. executive. Both if something goes wrong and in, in good times, that what we do builds on and runs alongside their normal PR, right? So that's good. The other type of clients that we have are what we would call legacy-oriented clients, where they've made lots of money. We have a lot of clients in billionaires in San Francisco, for example. Mm-hmm. They've made hundreds of millions. They're not interested in making more money anymore, but they're interested in giving yeah. it away. They're interested in legacy, in philanthropy, in making a difference. They, they might want to you know, win an award for a Lifetime Achievement Award from their industry, but what gets them out of bed isn't making money anymore it's doing good and some of them want to get involved in politics and all that kind of thing so we come along and we help them do that you know we launch podcasts write blogs get them on the tv and radio etc but it's all oriented around the person in the same way that the federal government has a leader which is the president and you know you can't on in the venn diagram there's the federal government and but there's the president, and of course there's a massive overlap because mm-hmm. when you think of the government, you think of the person who's leading it, and most people can't differentiate between the two. It's the same with a lot of big companies. You know who needs your help? Uh, no. Bezos. Yes, he does. He could use your help. He certainly can use your help. and I mean, he's a person that, whether he likes it or not, it has to be positiveness coming out of him. Yeah. And if he does things, it should be out there that he's doing good stuff with all those hundreds of billions of dollars, whatever his value. That's a person that could use a real effective PR, not a me too jerk off. Oh, you you look great, Mr. Bezos. No, no. You've got to be able to take someone and say, look, mm-hmm. you hired me to help you. I'm doing this fully transparent mm-hmm. with you. I don't have no agenda. You're going to pay me anyway, <laughs> but I want success for you. But that, because I've written a book, but my next book is going to be about... What's the book you read? Uh, I wrote a book called Fast PR, which is sort of a... Fast PR, and who publishes it? Um, um, Who publishes it? Um, Little Publishing, I think they're called. And where can we get that? You can get it on Amazon. You can go on my website, fastpr.online. Check it Um, out. But my next book, actually, because I've read loads of books on leadership, and what's fascinating is they all say, you know, be transparent, do this, communication, integrity. It's all generic stuff, right? I work with 45 global leaders, and I've seen real leadership, the good and the bad, and I'm trying to distill it into five lessons that I've learned where I've actually seen it with my eyes and my yeah, real we, eyes. We've had, uh, we I've had got a, two, two of them worked out. We had a, a Navy SEAL on here, Jocko. Jocko Willing. Jo- wrote yeah, he wrote, he wrote a very uh, famous Navy SEAL guy, and he wrote the leadership levels and all that mm. where he relates it all to the military side as far as but leadership. even so communication was very high on his list it is it is but i think that to me that's almost obvious in a sense because it's important that you get that right i'm trying to write a kind of next level stuff the things that people are still getting wrong on a quite a fundamental level i've learned i'm trying to get distill it into five lessons i've got two already the first one is temperament honestly you, you everyone knows when they've got a boss how that he or she's going to react if something goes badly. Yeah, and and that can actually demotivate I, yeah, yeah, I, I yell all the time, but when I yell, I'm fast to apologize yeah, to. Uh, but also, because that's my personality, and sometimes I react, I just react. Yeah. And I said to myself, well, you know, that's not nice. But actually, yeah. that's good because I know where I am with you as a boss. Yeah. You, you'll blow but your But if top. you really know me, you know, I, exactly. I bark. 
Yeah. And then I'm the first one to apologize. So, so but what you don't want is your staff to withhold things from you because they're right. frightened. Was the fact they're not. Well, I, that's, I, that's what happened to me and my company over the year when the finances weren't the way they were supposed to. They were afraid to tell me. Ah, right, and I right. can't deal with something if I don't know it. Which is the second lesson that I've learned, which is blind spots, is that, you know, everyone has blind spots. And it, how, how do you surround yourself with people who challenge you, like I do with my clients? Don't tell Bo. That's that's the model. But Don't the, let Bo know. But Bo is going to find out eventually. And also, you've lost that lead time because if Bo had been told no, four weeks earlier, yeah, you could have solved it. I always say to clients like, you're in a canoe and you're heading towards Niagara Falls. <laughs> When's the best time to sort it? <laughs> When's the best time to sort it? Is it right near the edge when the rapids are there and you've got to have all that energy? Or is it three miles further upstream where this, the waters are calm <laughs> and you can sort of very gently go to the side of the fucking river? <laughs> it's, you're still in the same situation, well put, but the well time, put, the so, latency So we learned that, issue. Carlo. Tell the big mouth boss right away when you find out the problem rather than festering and become worse because eventually he's going to come out and what am I going to say? Why didn't you tell me? Mm. Okay, so your podcast, what do you what do you talk about on your podcast? So I have two. I have one called Media Masters where I get editors and um, all of the kind of big media names on there and I've done that for sort of four years. It's got, uh, you know, really good listener base and I learn a lot. I mean, honestly... I've never had a situation where, you know, all the very biggest media names in the world come on my podcast and I can ask them anything for an hour and learn from them. I mean, what a great sort of MBA of PR. So that's focused that's focus on the media. Yeah. And then I have my business leaders podcast, which I hope you're going to come on at some well, point. Well, I don't know if I'm a business leader. <laughs> I think I'm probably are. the only ex-detective in New York that made a hundred million and pissed it away. How did uh, you piss it away? Uh, you know, we had little things called gambling. Uh, I'm not proud of it, but I'm real about it. Yeah. It happened. And you know what? Maybe people can learn yeah. from my mistakes. But most people are human, right? I see you. You're not perfect. You're a nice guy. You're passionate, right? I don't think, oh, look at him, you know, failed. I think, wow, he's, no, he's no, no, made no. some mistakes. He's learned. Oh, no, he's no, no. A, you know, he, and what can I learn from well, that? Well, Carlo can tell you, he's my chief of staff. He's my guy, and he learns from me because when things get really bad, everyone's looking up at me, what is Bo going to do? I mean, I could just go to the Super Bowl mm -hmm. and go, I've been invited by five different people, private jets, to the Bahamas. I'm not going there because I cannot go there not knowing that I have some little problems going on in the company that I have to fix. Of course. And we're going to fix it. Carl has been helping me. And it's all about getting out there. The phone does it. My phone used to ring automatically. 35 years of business. It stopped. It was it, it stopped from the way it was. Now I gotta just knock on the door. Yeah. Bo's here, thirty five years, and we're starting to get yeah. now our our action and our traction. So it's important that when you're in business, you have to be able to get that business and continue. Think about tomorrow. Yeah. Don't lie on your hunkies no. about what business you have coming in. If you're doing great now, you start planning, start bringing more. You gotta keep planning for tomorrow. And I think that's a lot of failure business. People don't plan for tomorrow. No, they they just sit on their hunkies and just say, oh, we're doing great. Yeah, and that's, I, 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 all, I mistakenly thought as I was climbing the ladder that it would somehow get easier that when you get to the top. So like, the, the stress becomes worse, but different. So, like, now my worries are sort of more existential. I remember sort of 15 years ago, I had a first client, and I advised him to write a book and sort of take 
you know, one day a week off, off his business and hire someone to do the operations and do this book and various other things. And I presented to his board and I convinced them to do it. And, and it was genuinely the right advice, right? And I mean, now it's been, the book's an incredible success. It's been translated into about 10 languages and it's in its eighth edition, right? But I didn't know that at the time. So I give him what I consider to be my best advice with real risk, right? Because if it backfires, he'd probably lose his job. That His company would say, we've put all this money in, we've hired someone else, you've taken all this responsibility away to write this book and it's fucking failed. You're fired, right? So, but I genuinely, I thought, first of all, the kind of person I want to be is a person that, if I genuinely believe it to be the right advice, why would I not do that through fear? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to advise him to do this because I truly believe it's right, right? He then, the board sign it off, brilliant, right? I'm then driving home after the meeting, and then I think, oh, fuck me. <laughs> you know, this is serious, right? So, you know, I've made my payroll. I, all the old worries that I have have gone. But I'm thinking, this is a man who's going to sacrifice his career on my advice. Have mm. I? Have I made the right decision here? Uh, you know, could it go wrong? You know, and even, it wasn't even about if it went wrong and he sued me, I've got insurance. It's, it's, I, I don't want it to go wrong. I actually don't want it to be the bad advice. And no advice that's real is is perfect you can't read a textbook and think well the man in that situation should do this that and the other yeah and and that's the bit where there's you've no got to stand by it i've got to believe no in it science to it no but that's the bit I, just because i believe in it isn't enough i've got to make sure it damn well is the right advice like you don't want your doctor to believe his advice <laughs> is right you want to look it up in a book and think those three symptoms mean he's definitely got that and give you the right drugs right, right? so anyway so that's so that's that's the bit where you'll have this where you've got it weighs heavily on you doesn't it because if you're in a leadership position you you've got to you've got to take the right decision because if you don't you're fired and everything or, or you go out of business and you have to deal with the consequences of that well, it's then, not easy and they, i can't, i do not accept that because I know in all my life I've always pulled things together I've yeah. always succeeded which I'm going and I am succeeding again and yeah. again but my whole point is that what I did learn was not planning and not also your sub-level leaders that's so important mm -hmm. that I learned I didn't have the right people in my secondary group yeah I'm the, the CEO I'm the chairman of the board my other levels were all shit, mm -hmm. and I'll say it right out. They were shit. They didn't have foresight. Everyone stood by and waited for Bo to react, and if Bo doesn't react, the company would have been gone a long time ago. There's a real strength for having a company in business for 35 years, yeah, and I think sense. that's something that's very palatable for a, for, for a buy-in motive for people to hire us. Hey, look, we're around 35 years, and that's All it. Time. We're going to wrap up because we're going to have to go do your thing, but when people want to get to you, how do they get to you through the uh, social media and all that? Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Paul W R Blanchard, or you can go to right-angles.global. So if someone wants to hire your company, what do they do? Uh, they drop me an email or ring me, uh, and they write me a check, and then I help them. Yeah, yeah. Well, all I could say is... Uh, if, they write, if they write the check payable to cash, I'll yeah. give them a discount. Well, I think, I think it's very important that uh, now you have a backup unit, yeah, me, of course. my company, will back you in any of your crisis management, because a lot of times effectively you need what i have it's this could flow both ways yeah, yeah. i need you and you need well, me well i just told you i just told in front of caller because mm. i tell caller when the phone rings someone needs a pr right now there's paul mm. and everyone else is off the books mm. and it goes both ways me help you mm. you help me Delighted and to do what's that. wrong and a lot of times when they're having a crisis 
Oh, you know Bo Deedle? Mm. Because they know one thing. When I handled the crisis for the big pharma, mm. big pharma was in uh, Washington yeah. in 2003 when they were trying to get the drug bill passed. They had hired another company. No one knew about it. Hired me with Tom Brokaw. I got a nightly news. We were buying drugs online. Then we oh. were tracing back to Kashmir, Pakistan. And then I lobbied 40 40 United States senators. Every one of them, I knock on the door, Bo Deedle's here. Every one of them took me in and wow. knew who I was through Imus. Imus in the morning. They were. It was very big in Washington. My whole point is you've got to have someone that's going to get it done. Not someone that's going to sit in the foxhole and say, <laughs> they're all out there, they're coming. Mm -hmm. Well, let's plan how we take them out. I'll give you one final thought, right? I, I say to clients, Fire me anytime if you don't like me. Don't commit to a big contract on notice period. You know, the minute you d don't want to work with me anymore, just fire me immediately, right? Don't. I don't want a situation whereby, you know, you feel you have to carry on working with me because of some contract, right? And also, because our clients are high net worth individuals, they could out-lawyer us in seconds. So, bye. You know, don't worry about yeah. it. So, making us very easy to fire makes us very easy to hire because it means I say, look, if you're not happy, don't pay our bill. But I'll tell you something else, right? One of our clients is in a huge dispute dispute with a global brand. And, and I said to them, right, 50 grand and I'll just do the whole thing and and i'll fix it for you and the, the boss said well what happens if we make one phone call and it's fixed i said well well that's yeah, what you pay me yeah, for. exactly i said but this is the thing i said do you want a normal pr agency that'll charge you five grand a month and deliberately extend and delay it for 10 months so they get the same money when i could have fixed it in week one right. and he said well am i buying your time i said you're not buying my time you're buying my expertise you ha you're buying who contacts. i am so it's you're not if i can solve this in 10 minutes you're not buying 10 minutes of my time you're buying 20 years experience on all right. my connections and 10 minutes well, I time. think that's how we get hired it's a, a great lot. value proposition. Yeah, when they call us and call them deals with it directly all the time, they're calling Bo Deedle because of Bo Deedle's mm -hmm. brand, reputation, and getting things done. Mm -hmm. Again, I keep going back, and I tell people that work for me, that is a very important thing to yes, advertise 35 years in this type of business. Because in this type of business, with all the innuendo about criminal activity and all that bullshit, there's a reason why we're around 35 years. I will not let my client or I will not get, get involved in anything that can hurt them or hurt me. I, and that's why takes. we're around. And that's how you sell. Now, if you're my PR, how would you sell Bo Deedle? He's been around 35 years. He's handled some of the biggest cases in, in, in the United States. And he gets results. And he's around 35 years. And he hasn't gotten handcuffed yet. Mm. So... <laughs> You should have your own Netflix show. <laughs> you should be, you, you know, I know you're already, you're um, in so many sort of uh, well, films Martin, and everything Martin yourself. Martin Scorsese yeah, yeah. Rick Young, where they were talking about yeah, that. But the point is that... You should be a global megastar, really. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's just funny. I wrote, when you talk about business books, I wrote a business, business lunchitations, where I wrote a book in 2005 became number five on the New York Times bestseller. I knocked Jack Welch's book out. I called him up. I said, I, do, I knocked <laughs> out. In there, I talk about all the tips about you dress for success. You look like a schlep. No, it's okay. Yeah, you're, you're a <laughs> I little... didn't know there'd be cameras in but, I should but, have checked. But the point, the point is a lot of different things that I put all my thoughts in that. And the book hit number five on the bestsellers. Congrats. I do because of like I, what I just mentioned to you about slowing down with business. It's all about coming back yeah. and coming back. Yeah. And then when I have a cybersecurity company on the verge of becoming something worth hundreds of millions of mm -hmm. dollars, I come back. But my heart and soul, I told Carlo, 
We're not shutting this that place down yeah. ever. If I made a half a billion dollars tomorrow on my cyber security company, yeah. Bo Deedle Associates will will continue. Well, that's this is my legacy. Of of is. And I say anybody stays on board with me, this is the legacy of we have a reputation. And I think us being uh, joined at the hips, we could do some really great things together. Absolutely. I look forward yeah. to it. And Carlo, take it away. All right. So, Paul, we do one segment every week. Oh, Jesus. It's called Punk of the Week. And, uh, something that's bothering you. Something that's you. bothering you this week. Person, could be place, anything. Thing. What's bothering you this week? What's bothering me this week? Um, oh, God, that's absolutely fascinating. Um, what's bothering me is... Do you know, I don't know. What, what, do you, what kind of thing do you want? Is it just could like... be anything. You were, you've been all around. You've been in Davos. You've been in L.A. You're back in New York. What's what? You didn't have anything that bothered you a little bit? Do I have to? Can I just name? Uh, do I have to name the person? No, or it doesn't have to be a person. Be... It could be a thing. I've got I've got a friend that is that needs to hear some advice that he doesn't want to hear. And how, my challenge is, how do I get that through to him, just as a friend? Because I'm worried that he's, he, he's going to make a decision that he'll regret. A, a lot of people have what I would call golden handcuffs, right, where this, this friend of mine is, you know, married, he's got kids, he's not in a job that he's happy with, and he wants to start a new business, but he's got a lifestyle that has a certain amount of money, that in a dollar value, that he's earning, but he's desperately unhappy in his job. And I'm saying leave and start a business. Now, his argument back to me is, Paul, when you moved to London 15 years ago, you had nothing, which meant you had nothing to lose. He said, I've got something that I have to lose. And, I've, I, you know, he has a bit of a, a cash flow problem, so he hasn't got any money. And I'm like, well, go and find someone to lend you it. And I, I don't know, is that people where you just want to shake them and say, sort your life out. Life's too short. You could be dead in 30 years. And you know as you lay there dying 30 years from now, you'll regret not having done it. Well, I, I think you should be very direct with him and call him and meet him. Don't do it over the phone. Mm. And meet him and say, I don't want you to take this any way except what I'm trying to tell you, because mm -hmm. I love you. Mm -hmm. And do it that way. I think it's good. What's your punk of the week? My punk of the week is uh, Jim Dolan, owner of the New York Knicks. Uh, He's right in this building. Right in this building. He's downstairs. He made a big blunder yesterday. He could have used Paul on this. He, uh, The fans are very upset with the way he's been running the team. And he some, gets personal with it, too. Some Fans were chanting, sell the team, and he had them thrown out. So it's not a way to treat them. He threw fans. out the fans. Yeah. He threw out the oh, fans. Yeah. Can I change my submission to him as well? <laughs> yeah. You don't throw out the fans. Your whole business no, is built on those no, guys. That, that, he was not. See, he's another one you can't talk to. Uh, he's like Trump. You can't talk to him. Uh, my punk of the week is Don Lemon. Lemon, whatever you want to call him. He did something this week was disgusting. He brought on these Southerners, and he made fun of uh, people from the South, and he was so hysterical laughing. And, I mean, when you're in the news media, and I and, and, uh, Jeffrey, what's his name, my friend that's running CNN? Jeff Zucker. Jeff, Jeff Zucker. Zucker. I know you listen to our podcast. You should call him the task for it. He's a disgrace. I don't care if he's an African-American. He's a person that's a disgrace, and you should never – belittle people, whether you're from the South with a draw, and you, Don Lemon, Don Lemon, you've been very lucky. You should thank God. And Jeff Zucker, you should take him the task for it. He's my punk of the week, and I know him very well, and I'll tell him to his face. There you have it. Thanks very much for Paul Blanchard for being here. Really my enlightening pleasure. stuff. Thank Great you. conversation. You can find us. We're on social media. We're at One Tough Podcast on Twitter. Bo is Bo Deedle on Twitter. And you can email any questions or guest suggestions. We've got some great stuff lined up. Uh, our email address is podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week.